my primary goal in raising preflop is just to take down the blinds and antes. That's a good good result. If only five or six people at, are at the table, I'll play them aggressively, raise, re-raise, preflop. Early in position, I'm not going to be playing many of these hands. I don't like calling shoves with small pocket pairs. Quite often you're going to be just completely dominated. I'll tend to like to play them conservatively even when I'm in position. I usually fold pocket fives and lower from under the gun and under the gun plus one nine-handed. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and there are partners who are contributing to this week's episode, such as the Poker is Fun Tour and PokerCoaching.com. A couple of quick announcements, guys. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Find it out there on iTunes or wherever you're getting your podcast. If you could subscribe, if you could rate it, if you could leave a comment, That's super helpful as we try to grow this thing beyond what we already have. And also, if you have feedback on what you like, what you don't like, a suggestion for a topic or a hand situation, get that to me through Facebook, Twitter, or even email me, stevefredland at gmail.com. That's much appreciated. That helps us make sure that we're delivering what it is that you guys want to hear. Today, we got a really general topic, and so there's a lot of different ways that it could be looked at, but uh, it's, a, it's a topic I continue to get uh, inquiries from when I'm at the table. People are saying, you know, ask those guys about how they pay, play those small and those mid pairs. So I left the, the question just really open-ended to kind of go where people wanted to go with it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's, it's something that seems to be quite difficult for us recreational players, including myself. Uh, and it's it's just one of those things that I think it's about time that we address in general terms. And then as we go further into the podcast, we can uh, look at some specific hand situations. So we're going to be looking at playing small and mid-pocket pairs. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with a discussion. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. All right, well, I thought I'd start off today by giving my thoughts uh, about small and mid pairs and why are these so troubling. And I think for me, uh, it, it comes down to I rarely know if I'm betting for value or betting for protection or betting as a bluff. Uh, And that's kind of true both pre-flop and post-flop. And so I really don't know where I'm at in a lot of those situations. Uh, And so I really don't know why I'm betting. I just feel like I probably should bet, uh, but I really don't have a strategy around that. Or even when I call, am I calling as a a hero call, as a bluff catcher, or am I calling with the best hand, or am I calling to trap or induce? What's actually happening there? So uh, I have trouble. You know, obviously if you hit a set, if you flop a set, it's a little bit easier. But otherwise, you know, how do I know when to fold or call or raise pre-flop or post-flop? So, you know, there's also the question about when I do hit the set, how to maximize the pay. But this is really about uh, those situations where I don't hit a set. Um, How do I play those uh, post-flop? So, and then, you know, as I think about this, I think about there's a lot of different ways that, you know, the flop comes. If you don't hit a set, you could still have an overpair to the board. But you could also have second pair between the top two cards. You could have third pair. 
you could have fourth pair, a pair that's actually below the board, and, and how does that change things? And what other things should I be considering in terms of player types and chip stacks? So, you know, often I get myself in trouble with these. Well, you know, sometimes you win pods, of course, but I do get myself in trouble with these when I tell myself, okay, with these pocket fives or sixes, I'm going to set mine. And then I don't hit a set, but I get a board that maybe I think, okay, this guy's just making a play at me. And I can get myself into trouble as I get too sticky uh, and not wanting to fold those things. So, you know, going going into this, that's that's some of the things that I question. Now, in general, you know, if I've got a short stack, I'm just going to get it in. So really, I think the conversation for me today is about if I have a decently deep stack and so does my opponent, uh, it's not so much about, you know, GTO, ch shove, shove ranges and that kind of thing. It's really, you know, if I've got, you know... 30 big blinds or more in a, one of the smaller tournaments or 40 or 50 big blinds or more in one of the bigger tournaments. Uh, how do I play these things? So that's how I'm viewing this thing today. And one of the things as I've thought about this is I realize I don't really have a set strategy that I've been following. You know, I'm starting to try to do more and more of that, actually think through in advance how I would play these. So I've really never sat down and got intentional about thinking, how do I play these pairs? So for this question, my response is really looking back on how I have been playing them, not really my recommended strategy. So um, that's interesting to me that I know I've played these very differently in different situations, and I don't know that it's been very strategic. I'm just sort of playing it at that time. And maybe, you know, there, there's an argument for the gut feel of that, but I feel like I need some sort of a centering uh, paradigm or perspective on this. So these thoughts are really how I have been playing them, not so much any well thought out strategy. I'm hoping hoping by the end of this thing to have heard from uh, some of the other players and to have gotten more insight that'll help me out here. But as I think about how I play them, I do tend to follow uh, Chris Fox Wallace's opening hand ranges when there's no action in front of me. So in his book, he talks about, you know, you can you open raise when there's no action in front of you under the gun with pocket eights or better. Uh, some other stuff too, but I'm going to focus just on pairs for today. And then when you go to under the gun plus one, you drop it down. So pocket sevens are better. Then pocket fives or sixes in middle position. And then by the time you hit late position, if there's no action in front of you, you can open any pair. So in all of these cases, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm combining the impacts from hand equity and fold equity. That's how I kind of realize these things. So earlier on in position, there's more people to act behind me. So I have less fold equity. Uh, that means, you know, I have less chance that everybody's going to fold to my bet or my raise. Because I have less fold equity, I need more hand equity. So I need a better hand the earlier I open. So it's that sort of combination. The earlier you open, I need, I need a better hand because there's less chance of everybody folding. So I need more hand equity because I have less fold equity. And so if I'm going to get called or three bet more often from early position, I need a better hand. And so... And that's sort of how I think about these things. Conversely, in later position, my opening hand range opens quite a bit because fold equity is higher. With only the blinds behind me or three people behind me, there's a greater probability everybody will fold. So I can actually have lower hand equity. I could have a worse hand there. Now, when I think about raising, unless I've got aces or kings, but even then, my, my primary goal in raising preflop is just to take down the blinds and antes. That's a good, good result. Um... But if that doesn't happen, things get more interesting after the flop. And there's a ton of combination of things that can happen here. If I hit a set, like I talked about before, then the conversation usually becomes, how do I maximize value or how do I protect my hand if it's a draw-heavy board? And that's another discussion. 
uh, for another day, but let's focus today on when we don't hit a set and some of the things that I have tended to think about. So if it ends up being a multi-way pot, so more than just two people in the pot, I do play pretty conservative. Uh, I tend to underrepresent my hand. I, I want to avoid getting check raised because of my I do have some equity in my hand and I don't want to get raised off that. Basically, I'm hoping to get to a fairly cheap showdown unless I end up hitting my card on the turn of the river. But uh, if I'm assuming that I'm heads up, then if I'm in position and the board is something that I feel would generally hit my range better than the guy that called me, um, then I will continuation bet to see if I can pick up that pot. So if I get some sort of a flop like uh, King 7-4, it generally is going to hit my range as the preflop raiser more than my opponent. So I will continuation bet there, just like I would in other spots, see if I can pick up the pot. And even if I do get called, there's a reasonable chance that I could still have the best hand. So I do expect to still have a good chunk of hand equity here. The continuation bet also, if I'm doing that in position, often it will lead to a free turn card. So because a lot of people have the attitude of check to the razor, or just generally you tend to, I have control of the pot because I was the pre-flop aggressor, I bet on the flop, so I tend to have control of the hand. So often if I can continuation bet on the flop, I'm going to get, going to get a free turn card. So they're gonna to check to me again, and I have the option to check again behind. And then on the river, I'm only facing one bet uh, if they decide to lead out on the river. Uh, I pretty much underrepresented my hand by checking back on the turn. So we have a chance here on the river we could go check check or they could fire one bet and I can call uh, without having it become a huge pot because I controlled the size of the pot by, frankly, by continuation bet on the flop, I was able to, to remove one street of betting on the turn. So that, that's one way I tend to play it. Um, however, if the board is more likely better for my opponent than myself, uh, so one of those flops where you know I, I bet pre-flop and then the flop comes 10-9-6 or 10-9-7 or two hearts and that sort of thing, then I may just choose to check back the flop and then see what my opponent does on the turn. If they check on the turn, I may choose to take a stab on the turn expecting it to give me a free river then, but I also could elect to check back the turn with the intention of calling a river bet for my opponent. So because I've underrepresented my hand, I pretty much need to call on the river because they'll probably take a stab with their entire range uh, at that point. So this is one of those situations, because of what I just talked about there, um, it, it's one of those situations where I really am a bulldog for wanting position. For me, playing a position uh, is way easier in these spots than playing out of position, just like usual. If I'm out of position, then I have to decide how do I want to approach this? So if I'm out of position, and if I continuation bet, I may win, but what if I get called? Then what do I do on the turn? If I check on the turn, then my opponent can bet, which I know they'll do often, but do I call knowing I will face a river bet? Or do I continue to bet the turn and maybe the river and fire all the streets? Am I comfortable betting pre-flop and then firing three bullets on the flop turn and river with something like second or third pair? But if I don't see bet, then I've given up control and will have to make tough decisions likely throughout the rest of the hand. So typically what I will do when I'm out of position with a pocket pair is something like this. If I still have an overpair to the board, say I have pocket eights on a 7-5-2 flop, I will continuation bet, and I will continue to bet until there is an overcard to my pair. And at that point, where I have found comfort is check calling the rest of the way. So I might check, but I'm going to call. Uh, because I'm, I've opened the door for them, I've underrepresented my hand, that sort of thing. 
If I have second pair, so like my pocket pair is between the top two cards in the flop, say I have eights again, but this time it's a jack seven four board, I'll probably just go right into check call mode for all streets. And again, this is happening if I'm out of position, uh, or at least I'll see how the board and my opponent play throughout. If I have third pair, say pocket eights on a queen 10 four flop, I'll probably check call one street and then give up on the turn if my opponent continues to show aggression. And if I have fourth pair, I may just check fold the flop unless my opponent is unreasonably aggressive and I have a pretty good read on them. Okay, in another situation, if the board is paired above my pair, say I have pocket eights on a jack-jack three board, I will treat it as though I have an overpair to the board and act according to that strategy. If the board is paired below my pair, so like jack three three, when I have pocket eights, I will treat it as though I would normally with second pair and probably just go into check call mode there, uh, maybe after firing one more uh, street. So there's a lot of considerations, including chip stacks, player types, situation of the tournament, but this is a kind of a general framework that I use, and I'm very much not confident in this framework or how I'm applying it. So I'm hoping to learn quite a bit from the other contributors of this episode, as well as listeners. Once you hear this, feel free to put comments out there on Facebook um, or directly on, on uh, the, the site that you're listening to. I would love to hear what you have to say. I would love to learn uh, quite a bit from you all on this deal. So with that, uh, we've got a couple of uh, audio submissions from other recreational players, and then we'll take a quick break and hear from our experts after the commercial. So when playing small mid-pocket pairs, if someone tight raises before me, I'd usually fold. If just calls, I'll call, and if a number of people are in the pot, may call a raise to see the flop. If only five or six people at are at the table, I'll play them aggressively, raise, re-raise, pre-flop. If raise, pre-flop, will continuation bet even if don't hit, and check if hit, unless there's a flush or straight potential in the flop. If it don't hit and someone else raised pre-flop, then check, and if can get another card for cheap, we'll take it. If they are a hesitant raise, we'll consider check raising certain loose or aggressive players. If my pair is above the flop or above two or three cards on the flop and high card is a nine or less, I'd consider raising first if other person in is acts after me. If I'm second to act and they check, I would likely check, but raise if hit my pair on the turn or if a jack, queen, king, ace comes up and they check. If only... One of them comes up and they raise a standard or small amount. I'd consider calling to see the river and try and tell if they just bet because I checked or if they actually hit something. If I don't hit the river and they check, we'll check behind. If they raise again, we'll fold. And then if I hit on the river, would raise or re-raise. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. Today we're talking about how to play small to middle pocket pairs. Uh, the question this week is very theoretical in nature, so I'll try and keep my responses also theoretical in nature because there's no um, exact question of how we should be playing these. Um, preflop, I believe everyone should have their 
preflop ranges or their opening ranges already defined. And if you haven't, I would suggest doing so. And you should know when you're going to be playing these small to middle pocket pairs. So early in position, I'm not going to be playing many of these hands, but later in position, I will be opening these. And it's good to have a balance of hands in our opening ranges. So if a flop comes with really low cards, we can still represent having a set uh, if we opened on the button. And to automatically fold these hands or to always be raising them, I think is a mistake. So we should have a sound preflop strategy. Outside of opening preflop, these are also a good, good hands to be played when we're calling. Um, I've heard that when you're in the small blind, it is often very profitable to be calling with these small to middle pocket pairs for the possibility of hitting a set. And I generally agree with that. I think these types of hands, um, you kind of see where you're at on the flop, uh, especially when someone is betting or raising into you. Um, the other thing is Preflop, a lot of players tend to limp these hands, and I think that's a big mistake. You shouldn't really be limping a lot of these hands. You should be either open raising or folding. So again, this goes back to having, the, having those opening ranges set and you know what you're going to do. When it comes to post-flop, we have to realize that these small to middle pocket pairs often have showdown value, um, and if they don't hit a set, it, we need to be ready to give up on the hand. So if we think about this similarly with other hands such as King-10 suited, where we might want to call a preflop raise with King-10 suited, but at the same time we, want, we don't want to overreact. With King-10 suited, if we hit a king, it should be good for us, but can also be a hand where we lose a bunch. Likewise with 10s, we're really trying to hit that like straight or flush with the King-10 suited. Likewise with middle pocket pairs, we're trying to hit that set so we can um, have those types of hands that really are on the high end of our spectrum and um, we can gain a lot of value when we raise. Um, so outside of hitting a set, then it comes down to how much showdown value does my hand have and what does the board texture look like? What is our opponent's opening range? Does it connect with the flop? Those types of things. So we can't get too attached to our hand uh, that we're never folding, say, pocket eights. Uh, but at the same time, we can't get so disconnected from our hand that if we have pocket eights and the flop comes queen high, we're automatically ditching it into the muck. Um, so I know it's not a concise way of saying this is exactly how you play small to middle pocket pairs, but I don't think there is um, such an approach. You have to really be playing your opponent, playing your opponent's range, playing the board texture, those types of things. And in general, just be ready to give up on these types of hands if you don't hit it big. Hi, this is Steve Olson uh, giving my input uh, for the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, how to place or uh, thoughts on small pairs. Uh, the example given was pocket fives. Uh, early on in tournaments, um, <coughs> excuse me, I certainly like to, you know, limp with them, try and see a cheap flop. Uh, you know, especially if you're in the first couple levels, you, if you raise with them, you're just going to get several callers and then they're going to be extremely difficult to play. Post flop, I'd rather just see a cheap flop, uh, you know. And what I'm really trying to do, obviously, is spike a set. 
Uh, hopefully somebody else will have something that can, you know, that can get you paid. Um, you know, if you're more than heads up, if you've got multiple, multiple players in the, in the pot, you know, they're very difficult to play for the, the best hand. In some ways, I think it's almost like playing, you know, ace rag. You, you end up either, um, calling with the worst hand or folding, folding the best hand. Um, later on, as the tournament goes on, you get deeper in. Um, you know, obviously in, in later position, I'll certainly raise a thumb. And uh, what I'm really thinking about uh, when I do that, first of all, I, I want to put some thought into how is the big bind playing? Is, is that person a defender? And if they are a defender, are they a calling station? That'll really um, dictate how I'm going to play that hand post-flop. You know, if, if, if two or more overs flop, which is usually going to be the case, you know, do you really have the best hand? If you play it through and you're getting called and you're getting called, um, you know, it's just you're just going to lose more chips than you should. You know, once again, um, in, like in the middle of the tournament, truthfully, I'd rather have someone raise in front of me and call with my pocket fives. Um, you know, my hand strength, the strength of my hand is hidden. Once again, obviously, I'm trying to flop a set. You know, and if you can do that, especially if they're raising with a big hand, big pocket pair, something like that, um, you're you know the chances you're getting paid are are really good. You know, the small pairs are just so situational, and it just depends where you're at, what the you know what the, what the blinds are at, where you're at in the tournament, how many people are in the hands, who's in the hands, how are they playing? You got to think about all these things. Uh, you know, if it's a situation where I've, you know, I've found myself with, you know, 10 big blinds or less, then I'm just going to shove with them pre-flop. Um, hope I don't get any more than one caller, uh, and hope they can hold and get through. Um, certainly when you're, you know, late in tournaments and, and, and you're running out of bets, and it, and things have, you know, if things have kind of turned into a, uh, a shove or fold situation, you know, if I can be the first person into the pot, I'll, you know, I'll certainly shove with my small pocket pair. I don't like calling shoves with small pocket pairs. Quite often you're going to be just completely dominated. Um, but once again, if, you, if I'm really short, uh, you know, I'll do it and, and hope for the best. Um, you know, once again, just in general, I'm looking to see a cheap flop. I'm looking to flop a set. Or you know some sort of flop like you know two three four, where you you know where you, where it's okay to go ahead and, and bet out on your on your pocket fives, um, and uh, that's my thoughts on that situation. Thank you. Hey, this is Matt Hamilton, and here are some thoughts I have on how I approach playing small to middle pocket pairs in poker tournaments. So, um, I tend to in general play them fairly conservatively. However, I'm not going to be doing stuff like open limping with them, um, pre-flop, or anything like that. I'm still going to be using my standard raise size as I would any other hand if I if I open them um, and if it's, you know, if it's folded to me or whatever. So, um, I, yeah, I'll raise them like any other hand, and if I get three bet pre-flop, um, 
I'm not, I, I don't like folding to three bets generally. So, um, and, and that holds true with, with, with any type of pocket pair as well. Um, because I like the inherent showdown value it gives me, um, even out of position against, against a three better. Now, if the three bed is like a pretty large size, like anything over like three times my open raise, um, then I, then I'll probably fold like my, my really small ones, like fives through deuces and maybe call, um, like sixes through eights, unless it's like a really big three bet size, then I might just fold those too. Uh, I wouldn't love it though. Um, but in general, I like to, um, you know, open raise them pre-flop just like I would any other hand, um, and use their showdown value post-flop, um, to my advantage. And, um, I'll probably out of position post-flop, I will be calling on boards check calling on boards that don't look great for my opponent um, and check folding boards that that I feel just smash their range. So um, kind of the, the way I navigate post-flop is what kind of strength of hand I think my opponent has and just kind of play based off of that. I'm not going to be running any huge bluffs or anything like that because... Um, I will always have some showdown value with my hand. So no sense in in bluffing um, unless there's a really good opportunity for it um, <clears throat> because it's going to be hard to bluff my opponent off a better, a better hand than I have um, in a lot of cases. So it's one thing to keep in mind. Um, I don't like to get myself in in big pots out of position, um, with, with a really poor hand. So, um, I'll, I'll tend to like to play them conservatively even when I'm in position. So if I'm the preflop aggressor and I have people out of position against me, I'll, I'll generally be pretty conservative post-flop, um, and check back a lot of boards, um, even check down all three streets sometimes maybe throw in a value bet if I really think so. But if I really think my opponent's going to call me with some high card hands, but, um, you know, in general, I'm just looking to use my, my, you know, my showdown value. So I'm not going to be bluffing much. Um, and, um, I, I, you know, sim simply because of the showdown value I have. So, um, I think it gets trickier when we start check calling flops and have to choose whether or not to give up on turns and rivers. Um, my general um, way of navigating this is, again, how well how the board texture is playing out for my opponent and how aggressive my opponent is. So if if my opponent is um, someone that does not bluff much and I see two barrels from him. I'm just going to be giving up um, my hand. Um, however, if my opponent's really aggressive and the board the run out is not great for his three betting range, say the board is like, you know, jack, nine, deuce, deuce, five, and I have pocket sixes or pocket sevens, um, I might check call all three streets from an aggressive opponent 
Um, if I feel like he's going to be betting a lot of draw type hands, a lot of high card hands, um, and if he thinks I have a hand similar to what I have, um, and he's trying to push me off of it. Now, it's not to say I I will for sure, but but that's just something to think about. I'm more likely to uh, to call down or to get more heavily invested if my if I think my opponent is more likely to be bluffing, of course. So. Um, those are those are a couple things to um, you know a couple a couple takeaways I would say is I generally play them conservatively and I use the look of the board to to navigate how how much I'll be defending post flop um, whether or not I'll be giving up right away or check calling one or two streets um, and then in position using my showdown value to to just get to rivers um, and and hopefully win against two high cards. So I think there is some merit in in betting in position just to get rid of your opponent's, um, um, you know, equity uh, with with six outs to to over cards. But um, I think a lot of times it's okay just to check them down as well. So um, I never, I, I, I rarely see good opportunities for for bluffing with them, um, so um, I would just kind of, in general, not think about trying to, to run any big bluffs, because it's hard to do with with small pairs, um, and you really have to, to invest yourself heavily, um, and there's really no sense in doing that because of the, the showdown value you already have, you know. Um, so I, I would play them similar to to other hands I would have like suited connectors or something that flop like middle pair you know you're going to want to use your showdown value that you have but you're also not not strong enough to to bet and um, get called by worse so play them similar to, similarly to those types of hands um, and think about them in that way um, so that you don't find yourself betting when you shouldn't be betting um, when there's no sense to so those are a couple of thoughts I had. Hope it was helpful. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. He's won a million dollars! So for those of you who don't know, uh, Mike Schneider uh, uh, has a, is a new dad, and so he's uh, he's working with having a newborn in the uh, in the house and making it very difficult to uh, record on occasion. Uh, Mike's been very gracious at getting us recordings uh, despite that, but uh, for this one, uh, it was just made it impossible to record. So he actually sent me a little bit of a of a text that uh, he invited me to read for you all, uh, kind of his insights on playing pocket pairs. Mike says, for me, there are several considerations, but I'll focus on a few of the most important. First, are we in position or out of position? Obviously, lots of advantages to being in position, as we are often going to have a chance to take down the pot without flopping a set. Weaker opponents will often check big card misses on 9-8-6 boards and such, and will often get to take the pot there with a hand like pocket fours, which obviously is the best hand if they fold, but takes a lot of the guesswork out of finding out if it's the best hand compared to being out of position and facing a better two. Secondly, 
what our stack size is and what our opponent's stack size is, assuming somebody already opened before us. If we both happen to be quite deep, I often like a 3-bet here in position. This provides several advantages. Namely, we might take down the pot without even seeing a flop. And secondly, the times we do get called and flop a set, the pot being big right off the bat, makes it more likely we can get our opponent to put in their entire stack. If we had just cold called against our deep stacked opponent, it's much harder to get all the chips in unless they've got us beat. Moreover, when we get called pre-flop after that 3-bet, we can often take down the flop with a smaller bet size than what our 3-bet was, especially if the opponent seems to be more of the straightforward or weaker type. Now what makes me not want to 3-bet is if we're both deep and my opponent is more aggressive or tricky or one who I perceive to be potentially having a wide 4-betting range. Then I'm much more content to cold call and essentially set mine, hoping that we flop a set and then try to get tricky and aggressive on us when we've got it. Against opponents who are quite shallow, or if we ourselves are shallow stacked, we don't ever really want to cold call with one of those small pairs due to the lack of implied odds for the 1 in 8 flops that we do flop a set. Alright, thanks so much, Mike. People are like, are you little? Because your name says you're little. I say, no, I'm not little. Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com, and today we have an incredibly broad question that we could talk about for probably six hours. How to play small and medium pocket pairs. We're not going to talk for six hours, so I'm just going to give some basic tips. Um, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, how do the players at my table play? If they all play well, you should actually fold perhaps pocket fives and lower from the um, low jack seat and earlier position. So first position, second position, third position, fourth position at a nine-handed table. You just need to fold these hands. And the reason is because they're going to flop very poorly. And if you make a set, there's no guarantee you're going to get paid. And very often if you raise, someone in position is going to call. You're going to have a really crappy hand after the flop and you're going to have to check fold a lot of the time. The problem with hands like small pairs is they don't have very much bluffing potential because usually you want to be bluffing with your draws, right? And Pairs typically don't make draws because they only have one card, right? They, don't, they can't make straight draws very often. So just fold these hands. If you play around with Poker Snowy at a nine-handed table, it will actually suggest that you fold pocket nines from under the gun, which is kind of crazy. And that, that's way too tight, but that assumes everyone plays perfectly. And fortunately, everyone doesn't play perfectly. So if I'm playing at a game that I perceive to be very soft, I'm just going to raise with all of my playable hands. And that's going to include most pairs. I usually fold pocket fives and lower from under the gun and under the gun plus one nine-handed. And then I'm raising all the other bigger pairs. Um, so from the later positions like low jack seat and later, I'm typically raising all of the pairs against most players. But even then, I, I sometimes just fold. Like if you think you're going to get three bet a lot, just fold. If you think your opponents are rarely going to pay you off, if you do make a set, just fold, right? I mean, if they play well, you don't need to be playing marginal stuff, and these pairs are somewhat marginal hands. So next question is, how aggressively should we be playing them? Well, if you do raise preflop, I don't suggest limping. I have not really found a good strategy to limp against people who are anywhere near competent. You want to be limping with a lot of stuff if your opponents are very rarely going to raise you, and they're going to call your limps with all sorts of garbage. And I don't think that happens a ton in today's games, but maybe that does happen in your game. So... I typically just raise all of my playable hands, and that does include the pairs. So then after the flop, very often if you have pocket fives and the flop comes with three overcards, you have a very bad hand, and you should often just check fold. And that's the problem with these hands, is that very often they flop these weak marginal made hands, and they should be check folded. 
Um, say the flop comes something like jack four two and you have pocket fives, you should probably make a small bet. Typically, you want to be betting with your marginal made hands when they are very susceptible to being outdrawn. And on jack four two, your pocket fives is very vulnerable to any overcard, right? And an overcard is probably going to come. So if you can bet small or even bet half pot or something like that and make your opponents fold, that's a fine result. But again, playing out of position is tough. So let's say instead you raise the button and the big blind calls when it comes to jack four two and your opponent checks. There you can bet very small, something like a third pot, extract value, force some over cards to fold, and that's going to be a pretty good result. If you do bet with fives in that spot and get raised or called, very often you're generally done with the hand, meaning you're going to check back the turn and then maybe call a river bet, depending on how the board runs out. If you raise with fives and there are two over cards, like jack 10 4, uh, you can bet small or check. I mean, you're going to find very often in no limit hold and betting small or checking is perfectly fine because if your opponents fold to your small bet ever, that's just a great success because whatever they fold usually has some equity and your hand will sporadically improve to the nuts on the turn whenever you do make a set yourself. Um, the other question posed was how long do you stick around with them if you don't flop a set, which kind of implies that whoever asked this question is taking a passive line in general, meaning someone raises, you call with your small pairs, which is okay. Um, at the same time, if someone raises and you have small pairs against good players, you should often just fold again because, again, they're not going to pay you off every time. But say you do call and the flop, like let's say middle position raises, you call a pocket fives on the button. Everyone else folds. It comes jack four two. If your opponent bets, you should probably just call. You may want to put in a small raise for both value and protection. That allows you to check back the turn and then usually check back the river and make some overcards fold and put your opponents in a crappy spot. But that's a really exploitable play because if your opponents know you're just raising all sorts of junk on the flop, like fives, they can attack you pretty aggressively. Um, alternatively, you can just call your opponent's flop bet on jack four two and see what develops. And this is where you really need a decent read on your opponent. But if your opponent is good, you don't really have a decent read on him besides he's going to play well, in which case you're not going to know how to proceed on a lot of turns if your opponent keeps betting or even if your opponent checks because he's not always going to bet with his with only his better hands. He's not always going to check only with his worst hands, right? So you're going to find yourself in a lot of tough spots. If you have a handle on how your opponent's going to play, though, then you can certainly call the flop and then go from there because some people you would know from paying attention bluff too often, in which case you can easily call, and some people only bet the turn with their very strong hands, in which case you can easily fold. Um, What it really amounts to, though, is I think a lot of people generally overplay the small pairs pre-flop and then they underplay them after the flop. Like, say... Someone raises from middle position, you call with your sixes on the button, and it comes king, seven, two. If the opponent bets, you should probably call pretty much every time. And that's just because you can't really have very many good hands on king, seven, two. And if you just go straight down your range, sixes is going to be at least somewhere near the top of it because you're going to have a bunch of unpaired hands. So knowing you have a bunch of unpaired hands here, if you're folding your sixes, you're just going to be folding way too often. So um, maybe the right play was to just fold preflop right? Which is what a lot of good players would do in that spot against another good opponent. And then if they did see this flop, they would always call because you just can't fold too often against good players. But against weak players, maybe your opponent just check folds when he doesn't have anything. So when he bets, he has a good hand. As you see, it really is very player dependent when you're playing a lot of very junky crap that doesn't have a whole lot of equity. So the easiest way to avoid that is to just not play these hands. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's a pair. It's great. I have to play it. Same thing happens with hands like ace nine or king 10 or jack 10. People think that if someone raises, I need to play these hands every time because they're big cards. But playing bad big cards will make you bad made hands after the flop. 
playing small pairs will very often make you bad small pairs after the flop. And that's not where you want to be. If you do make a set, that's great. Um, depending on the board, you should either raise or call. You always want to ask yourself, what does my raising range look like in this scenario? Uh, typically, you want to be raising with your best made hands and your draws. So if the board is very draw heavy, you should definitely be raising with your sets. If the board is very dry, though, you very often want to consider calling, especially if your opponent can catch up to a good but still second best hand. So let's say someone raises and you call with pocket threes on the button and the flop comes, uh, let's say, queen, six, three, giving you bottom set. If your opponent bets, you should probably just call here because an ace or a king could give your opponent top pair, which would be great. And really, you're not so susceptible to being outdrawn. The only hand you can realistically get outdrawn by is a bigger pair, and that almost never happens. But then also the straight draw, 5-4, that also rarely happens. So there, you're not really susceptible to getting outdrawn, and your opponent probably doesn't have a ton. And if he does have a queen, he's going to pay you for a lot of money anyway. Um, something else people do is they overplay their hands on the river. Very often, they'll have something like pocket threes, and they'll call the flop bet. Turn will be something like... I don't know, a nine, their opponent will bet again, they'll just call, then the river will be something like a seven, putting up the straight, and also, you know, various sets, their opponent will bet again, and then they'll raise all in. And that's probably a mistake, because your opponent's almost certainly only going to call you with two pair and better, and on se uh, queen seven, on queen six, three, nine, seven, he really shouldn't have very many two pairs, so he's probably only going to be calling you here with sets and straights. And how do you, how does your pocket threes do against sets and straights? Well, it loses. So be aware of what your opponent's calling ranges are when you're going for raises. Um, in general, though, I like just raising with all of my sets on the flop for the most part. And that's just because you want to play big pots with your big hands. And unless you're playing shallow stack, like in some tournaments, uh, you need to raise to try to get money in the pot. And if you don't get money in the pot, you're going to have a hard time getting money in or significant money in later. And you'll find that raising the flop often gets a little bit less respect, meaning people think it's a little bit weaker than turn and river raises. So that's going to be it. I'm Jonathan Little. You can check out my site, pokercoaching.com, and get a free one-week trial. We have lots of interactive quizzes you can play around with and continue to study the game. And we have tons of examples discussing small pairs, and um, you can check them out and let me know what you think. All right. Well, thanks to all of our contributors. That is it for today. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment. This is super helpful as we try to grow this thing. And the more we grow it, the better guests we'll continue to get and more uh, more dialogue we can have and the better we can all become at trying to improve our game. Again, if you have other feedback, suggestions for topics, or hand situations, share those with me on Facebook, Twitter, or email stevefredland at gmail.com. Keep it coming. Uh, let's go. Let's go win at the tables. And uh, happy holidays, y'all.